you're watching us by live stream, we're very honored to have you this morning, and we ask you to share the stream and, and tell someone else the good news and encourage someone else in this message about moving forward. Life gets you stuck, doesn't it? You get stuck in a rut, get stuck in a moment, get stuck in a cycle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. We, we have to remind ourselves to move forward. And is in the story of the Old Testament, the children of Israel, even when they disobeyed the Lord, he never let them sit still. He kept moving them forward. They kept walking in circles, but they had to keep moving forward. They were not allowed to stay dormant. The kingdom is always now forward. The Bible actually tells us that your past becomes irrelevant. Right? A lot of times we're stuck in a moment or we're prisoners to our past or the pain and the memories and the regrets and all of the stuff of our past. Even as Christians, our sins are forgiven. We know that, but we can't seem to get out of the past. We can't seem to get out of the pain. We can't seem to get out of the regret. One of the ways to do that, there's lots of different ways to do that, but one of the ways to do that is to determine the now forward. Say this, my past does not define me. Try it. The kingdom is now forward. It's your decisions and the active choices you make in the now that determines your future. And one of the verses we're going to work around a lot in this series is Romans 12 too. It says, do not say with me, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, everybody say then, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. People want to know what God's will. You want to know what God's will is? The only way you can really understand God's will is the renewing of your mind. God's will for you does not exist in the conformity of this culture. God's will exists from his world, right? God's will, the mind of Christ, the knowledge of Christ, the way of the Lord, and it's not, it's on earth as it is in heaven. So one of the ways that we have to understand God's will is you have to see your life not in light of yourself, this is what we're trained. This is what we're taught. Even the church teaches you this. Live your best life now. It's not about your best life now. It's about the purpose for which you were created, right? It's about the design and the destiny that your maker has put you on this planet for. It's not your best life now. Right? It's not about you. It's about him. This is why we struggle to even know God's will because we see our lives in light of ourselves. It's basically narcissism. We worship a mirror, right? We cannot see our lives in light of ourselves. We see our lives in light of him. We live with eternity in mind, always, Christian. If there's a focus to our lives, it is the eternal world. I was just reading this, um, some, I don't know who posted it, but I saw a post on Facebook and said, there's a .0003 chance that your child will ever become an athlete professionally. But there is a 100% chance that your child will stand before Jesus. Get them to church. That was the statement. There's a 100, you posted that. Okay, there it is, right? Then uh, th there's a 100% chance you're going to stand before the Lord. And you're, you're going to answer. Not about your best life now. You're going to answer based upon, now there's nothing wrong with that saying, but the idea is that if you want, it, so the question is, do you want to live a nominal Christian life? Do you want to live the average Christian life? Or do you want to live the life that God has designed for you? This is the question. Do you want to live life your way by, the, by your sort of the way that you want to make it up as you go along or what you feel and what you think? Or do you want to inhabit destiny? Do you want to encounter destiny? Do you want something to come about in your life that you couldn't have brought about any other way? That's the question. 
And so the issue is, is that conformity to the world's ways, the world says it's all about you, it's your best life now. The church teaches us, and this is how the church has conformed to this line of cultural thinking, is the church teaches you it's all about you. God's going to be about your dreams, and God's about your visions, and God's about your plans, and God's about your purposes. Let me just shatter your illusions. No, he's not. At all. God's about his purpose and his purpose in your life. God's about you in the context that your life is aligned with him. When your life aligns with him, he's all about you. But so long, but God's, his dream and his vision for you, God's not over your dreams and visions. What we do, we create a mess and we say, God bless my mess. We create dreams and strategies and we say, God bless my dream and strategy. That's not the point. The Bible says you want to know the will of God, you have to transform the way that you think. Transform means to move, literally move to a different form. Your thinking has to take a different form. Your thinking has to take a different form. So long as you continue in the level of thinking that you have always had, so long as you continue in the pattern of thinking that you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. I think it's Einstein, could be wrong. People have been correcting, you know, some people like to correct quotes all the time, but he basically said, somebody basically, somebody genius, maybe it was Josh Turner. He seems to be the genius over there, but anyway, nonetheless. <laughs> said that the, the, uh, the level of thinking is not sufficient to solve the level of problems that we're facing, the current level of thinking. In other words, you've got to change the way that you're thinking. Right? That's a worldly quote. The Bible says transform. Access your life through the vision that God has for you. Then life changes for you. Or you're just going to live frustrated. You can be a Christian and live your way. You totally can. Jesus loves you. You're going to heaven. You'll be blessed. The Bible calls it carnal Christians. Believers who live according to worldly ways. Diminished existence, right? You have to see your marriage in light of how God sees it. You have to see your business in light of how God sees it. You have to see your life in, how to, in light of God sees it. You have to see your body and your choices in light of how God sees it. You have to see your money in light of how God sees it. You have to see your future in light of how God sees it, not how you see it. Most of your dysfunctions are, there's other reasons, but most of your dysfunctions can be traced directly back to that point. You see it the way that you see it. You have to transform. You literally have to melt down your thinking and you have to learn a new way of thinking. You do. And you know what's hard for us to learn a new way of thinking is because all our lives we've been taught to think certain ways. We're inundated with cultural thinking show you how extreme cultural thinking, it, it, suicide is an acceptable practice in Japan. That's cultural thinking. Now, oh, we would be appalled. How could that possibly be an accepted thinking? Because it's a cultural way that they perceive things. There are things in America, the number one, th the number one thing about America is it's, it's individualism and literally narcissism. It's all about us. It's all about me, right? If you look at the American family, it typically tends to be a collection of individuals. If you look at families that come here from other cultures, in particular family where, where, where family is a huge value, the network of the family is, is existing, they come here, you know, most of you like uh, um, Filipinos, right? So there's a couple transplanted Filipinos right here. Extremely family intense, extremely family intense. The hardest thing that for them to realize is that their children become more and more Americanized, they become more and more individual, don't they? 
And you see the family begins to fracture because the, 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 the waves of this culture, begin, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. There are, there are pluses to that and there are minuses to that, right? But nonetheless, cultural thinking has to, will affect you. And if you think in lines of the culture, it's going to affect you. All about me, all about Instagram, all about making as much money as you can. It's all about me, 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 glorious me, at the expense of everybody else, it's all about me. What I have, I mean, just look at Instagram. It's the grand celebration of me. Again, nothing wrong with Instagram. I like Instagram. However, it's everybody's highlight reel. That's what I call it. Instagram's your highlight reel, right? So when you make the touchdown pass, boom, we'll put that on Instagram. We'll put the one where you dropped the ball on Instagram. Put the one where you fumbled, right? Put, don't, don't, it's not all about where you're flexing every, all of your successes. Show the real you, right? That's the idea. But cultural thinking affects us. And what we as Christians must become is we must think according to the kingdom. We cannot think, if you want God's will, okay, it can't be any clearer. You will prove and approve God's will. God's will will be proved in your life. It will be proved out. It will come out in your life when you transform the way that you think. So long as you continue to not think that way, so long as you continue to think like the world, nothing's changing. And I'll give you another one because this is really a happy day. So this is what Christians do. We're not to think like the world. We're not to think like the world. So what we do is we form our own little culture and we form church culture, right? We don't drink, smoke, or chew or hang out with those that do, right? Or maybe, you know, we're, we, 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 well, this is actually, the, you know, the church becomes a party. Oons, 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 oons. I'm all in. Let's have a party. But the church isn't a party. The church is, it's, it's, it's worship. It's adoration. It's submission and surrender. And in the submission and the surrender comes the glory, comes the celebration, comes the honor, right? That you, you get this? Am I blowing you? Am I, am I being too hard on you? No? Okay, because I'm trying to get you to understand how this works. But what the church does is they create a culture. They create a subculture. And everybody talks the same language. Bless God, brother. Hallelujah. You know? Everybody dresses the same. We all, we, we build outward constructs of our lives of righteousness and holiness. You're not that way on Monday, but you are that way on Sunday. Right? And even if you can maintain it, because most Christians, they fortify themselves on Sunday... And they're fortified going into the week. By Wednesday, they're falling apart because you cannot maintain external righteousness. You just can't do it, right? You're going to fall apart somehow along the way, but we create this culture. It's not about world cultural thinking. Ready? Say it with me. It's not about cultural thinking from the world's perspective. It's not about cultural thinking from the church's perspective. It's about cultural thinking from the kingdom perspective. This church is a kingdom culture church. That's why people come in here and they're looking for their navigational points that they find in every other church culture. Well, where are the plastic flowers and the stale cookies? Oh, you guys don't have that. No, we don't have that cultural navigating point for you because that's a cultural thing within the church, right? There are certain elements here that, you know, yeah, could we do things better? A thousand times, you know? I got about 100 suggestions of my own. Nonetheless, I'm not saying we're perfect, but I can tell you that the rhythm or the cultural, the movement within this church is related directly to kingdom culture. There is no church culture. There is no denomination. We're not trying to be a better version of the world, right? 
We're trying to honor Jesus, right? Because that is the kingdom culture. But it's not honoring Jesus in a religious context. It's honoring Jesus with a life that reflects the culture of heaven on earth. And your life will not transform until you start thinking that way. How does God see you? How does the Lord truly see you? Son, daughter, how does God see you? Ambassador, what what do those things look like? You want to start thinking, you can think this out on every single level of your life. How does the Lord see your money? What does the Lord expect from you with your money? Does the Lord expect you to live in poverty? No. What does the Lord expect from you from your business? How does he expect you? What does the Lord expect from you as an employee? What does the Lord expect from you from your life? Does he expect you to waste your life? Does he expect you to indulge your life? Or does he expect you to invest your life? Which one is it? Right? And there you have, the, there you have different perspectives. You have to take this thing as how does God see? This is heaven's perspective. This is kingdom culture. How does the Lord see your marriage? How does he see it? How does he see you as a husband and as a father? Is he expecting this perfect standard where you do everything right and you sit down and you do evening devotions with your family? That's become the high standard in in most churches. I'm not against that. I'm not against that. But love and validation and acceptance and investing in the life of your children from from a stewardship standpoint is far more valuable than religiously doing a checklist with them. Yeah. Your children are stewardship given to you. They're given to you as stewards. You are the steward over a gift. If you're a mother, your role is designed to nurture the gift of that child. That means correct them. That means keep that kid in line when they're out of line. That key means keep that kid on purpose to the best of your ability. You can't do it because when they become teenagers, forget it, man. They got a mind of their own. But nonetheless, you're still called. If you're a father, mothers are to nurture and develop the internal component that's related to the child that is given to them as a gift. The father's job is validation. Those children do not belong to you. They are given to you as a trust. And where the failure happens is when the father fails to understand that his role is not to dominate, control, or be best friends, but to steward the gift that is given to him. Now that means love, that means understanding, that means acceptance, that means validating. That doesn't mean making that kid like you, right? I meet burly guys and their kid's an artist and the, and the burly guy can't stand the fact that their kid's artistic. Drives them crazy. Well, guess what? Your job in that kid's life is not to make that child like you. Your job in that child's life is to honor and hone and develop the gift according to the purposes of God in that child's life. We are stewards over what God gives us. How does God see your children? How does God see you as a role as a father? You understand kingdom culture? This is what I'm talking to you about. Not church, not checklists. It's reflecting things on earth as it is, not from worldly perspective, not what I think, not what I feel, not what Dr. Phil says, not what Oprah thinks, what Jesus says. And thinking and seeing your life through that, your life will not, you will know the will of God when you transform the way that you think and you stop thinking like everybody else. Just a thought. How does God see your money? How does God see your future? How does God see your, how do your family? How does God see you? How does God see you as a father? How does God see your children? 
You're, this is the stewardliness of our life, and we're not supposed to steward it like in this managerial way. We're supposed to see that from his perspective, and we're supposed to live our lives through those arenas from his perspective, and then the will of God shows up. That's what happens. The will of God doesn't show up in cultural perspectives. It doesn't. You get wisdom. We think wisdom is God's will. Wisdom's wisdom. It's not God's will. Big difference, right? Wisdom, wisdom is simply knowing what to do and when to do it. The will of God is your overall purpose and destiny in every circumstance and situation and choices that align with that. That's another story. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed. Everyone say, be transformed. Say, my goal this year is to be transformed into kingdom culture thinking. That was weak. That was lame. I didn't feel the commitment on that, Christian. I want to feel the commitment on that. Now, Jesus believes you when you say it, but I got to feel something. Say this. My goal, My goal this year is to be transformed in the way that I think and the way that I see and the way that I live out of worldly culture, out of church culture, and into kingdom culture. That's your goal. That's your goal. That's what makes the church come alive, is when it's, and that's where the power moves, is when it resonates with the culture of heaven. Not with Ferraris on a stage and, you know, bungee cords. And that's all wonderful things. And you hear me say it. That's all great. I'm not against entertainment value in any way. I'm not against production value in any way. Right? Jesus gave fish and chips. Right? So I'm not against that. But the power resonates through the alignment with the kingdom culture. You're called to be a nonconformist. Aren't you glad? Somebody's like, I knew it. I knew I was a nonconformist. Bible says, not to conform with this world. You're a nonconformist. It's all good. I go to Home Depot down in uh, Homestead sometimes, and there's this girl in there, and you want to talk about a fashion nonconformist? This chick's about as nonconformist as you can get, right? Really, it's like, I'll go in there, and her hair is bleached white, right? Or it's red, and then she's got, like, the craziest ensemble on she'll have knee-high socks on so when you walk in that place that girl is completely non-conforming with every other cashier in that place fashionably right she just and, and when you talk to her she's not even trying it's just who she is she's just like oh you know she's I'm like wow you look really cool she's like oh well thank you you know would you like to sign up for a Home Depot credit card with these crazy glasses on and this crazy hair and, and you know I always go to her everybody else gets freaked out they're like oh man don't go to that wild one I'm like I'm going to the wild one <laughs> there's no one ever in her line because she's crazy look you know like most people are like I'm like I think that's awesome I think that's cool anyway another story you're called you're created uniquely you're called to be an original the world conforms us and dumbs us down to the standard of social acceptance. Say it. It's not about social acceptance. It's about kingdom acceptance. Kingdom acceptance. Kingdom acceptance. That's what it's about. Your job isn't to please other people. Your job is to please Jesus. Other people aren't going to understand you sometimes if you're doing what God wants. They're not even going to like you. They're not even going to agree with you. What you got to realize is with people in your life, everybody's trying to move you onto their agenda. Can I get a witness? Everybody is acting in self-interest. Sherry will talk to me sometimes and she'll ask me a question. And she'll go, can you believe they did that? I'm like, no, I, of course I can believe it. I said, people act in self-interest. They're always acting in self-interest. Just the way people are. 
right? Doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong to act in self-interest, but we're not to live out of self-interest. It's just not, just not the way it is. In order to move forward, you got to have goals. Say it. I got to have a goal. Right, it's New Year, right? We did a little messages on hope, try to get you fired up, put some hope in you, get you ready for the new year. And now we're going to put some faith in you, call you to move forward. We want every year of our lives to be progressively better. Don't you? Anybody with me? We overestimate what we can do in, in a year, but we underestimate what we can do in five. Everybody thinks they're going to take the mountain in 12 months. Odds are you're not, right? Odds are you're not. I'm going to win the Super Bowl in one, you know, first year in the league. Probably not. Not going to happen, right? But if you build a team or you, build a, you, you do certain things, you can build into that and you can accomplish. Goals are courses that are set by possibilities. A goal is something that you move towards because you see potential. A goal is something you move towards because you see a possibility. There's a strategy involved. There's lots of different components but what you need to know is that you need to have goals. And I'm going to show you the biblical, well, there's lots of ways I could take it, but I'm, I took it this way. So you can live by life by design. Say it with me. I can live life by design or by default. Say it. If I don't define it, it will be defined for me. Life will define itself for you if you do not. Do you know what I'm talking about? Huh? If you don't define your marriage, marriage by default will define itself it just will, right? That's, that's the way it is. If you don't define the boundaries of your life, people will define those boundaries for you. If you don't define the direction of your life, people will define the direction of your life for you. And you'll find yourself constantly need-driven and constantly pulled in every direction. Nothing frustrates me more. Nothing frustrates me more. Some people love it. They're like, oh yeah, I just like to tell me. I'm like, if it keeps me from where I want to go, like, I mean, I'll do it, but I don't want to live out of that. You have to define the direction of your life. Say it with me. People, get out of the way for the person who knows where they're going. Yeah, I say this to you almost every year at this time. The world will get out of the way for the person who knows where they're going. Do you know why? Because most people don't have a clue where they're going. They don't have a clue. Airports are classic airports you see people and they're like where am i but if you're from you're from miami and you know concourse d is over there and you got to go to eight gate 16 you know you know exactly where you're going while everybody's staring at the screen you're walking right through and people are like oh excuse me right this way they get out of the way for the person who knows where they're going life will get out of the way for the person who knows where they're going because the majority of people don't have a clue where they're going no idea without vision the people what right whether and that word vision is God-given revelation. Where there is no God-given revelation, the people perish. Or another version of is without restraint. Their life is just all over the place, which ultimately leads to wasting away. You need a God-given revelation of your life, of who you are, of where you're going, and what your purpose is. That's what you need, right? You need a goal. Say it with me. Goals our spiritual responsibilities. They are. Say it with me. Jesus had goals. He still has goals, right? Give you a couple verses on that. I'll give you another one later, but this one's running right now. For I know the plans that I have for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God's goal for your life, right, 
is to prosper you. That's his goal. God's goal for your life is that he brings you beyond the place of harm and into a place of shalom where your life flourishes. To prosper you, not to harm you. God's plan and goal for your life is to put hope in you and to give you a directed future. That's his goal. There's only one problem with that goal. You gotta be part of the equation. Most of the time, this is what God, this is the Lord's like, these are my objectives for your life. But you have to partner with him, right? So goals are spiritual responsibilities. If you think God, God doesn't have a goal for you, you're crazy. But he's not going to enact the goals of, his, of, his life, of your life by him without you. If you don't care, it'll sit on the shelf. Things change when it matters to you. If the godly goals and the godly plans and the godly purposes of this kingdom do not matter to you, they will sit on the shelf. Jesus isn't just going to do it for you. Well, God's going to do it. No, he's not. No, he will not. You must participate. You are a partner in this equation, right? We use the words co-labor. Partnership is a better one. Co-mission. You are co-missioned. You are on mission, the mission with Jesus, co-mission, right? That's the idea. God's, it's a spiritual responsibility. Philippians 3.12 says, th- says this, I know that I am not what God wants me to be. Can I get a witness? Anybody here, right? Okay. I haven't reached that goal yet. Can I get another witness? The goal of who I want to be in God's eyes, I'm not there, Paul's saying. But I keep moving towards it to make it to the place that is mine in Christ and that he has saved me for. I know I haven't reached my goal yet, but there's one thing I always do. I forget what is past and I strain towards what is ahead. I keep my eyes focused on the goal that I may obtain the prize and receive Christ Jesus in the life above. Say it with me. Everyone who is spiritual should think, spiritually mature, say it. Everyone who is spiritually mature should think this way. The Bible has a few passages in the scripture that define spiritual maturity. One of those passages is the spiritually mature have goals in light of their eternal purpose and destiny. If you do not have a goal or a life perspective in light of who God made you to be and in light of who that filter isn't there of the eternal world and who you are in him and what your purpose is in light of this kingdom and how all this plays out, then you're not spiritually mature. (gasps) How dare you say that, pastor? I didn't say it. He said it. Philippians. Paul said it in Philippians. Spiritual maturity is that the goals of your life are directly reflected through the eternity that God has placed before you. That was what I was just talking about. Who am I in light of him? What does my family relate to in light of him? What does my business relate to in light of him? How does God see it? This kingdom culture. That's what he's talking about. And he's saying, keep the goal in front of you. He's saying, strive towards it. Reach towards it. Don't forget it. Stay focused on it. Right? Most of you, the goals and the visions that God gives you, you're not equipped for. Happy day. Happy day. (laughs) God equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. Jesus looks for the most socially inept, right? Those that nobody else would choose, Jesus goes, I'll take him, right? Not because of their ineptness. He chooses them based upon the heart. And the big thing he chooses upon the heart that is willing in him, and the second one is perseverance. 
He chooses them based upon a heart that is will surrender to him and a heart that will not give up. Look at Peter. Can we talk about any, a person who's more socially dysfunctional than Peter? I know St. Peter, St. Peter's Square. We've glorified him. Have you ever read about Peter? Right? Carried a sword, was a fisherman. Sword, fisherman, what's that tell you? It's like longshoreman gun. It's like this guy liked to get in fights, right? Most likely gotten a few beer brawls, probably was missing a couple of teeth. Oh, that's not my image of Peter, pastor. That's the image the Bible gives you. He was very schooled. He was a guy who knew scripture, no question. He was very, very versed in the Bible. But he lived a rough and rowdy life. Didn't like children. Huh? Get these kids out of here. That's Peter. Right? What are these children doing here? These kids out of here. Right? Pushing the crowd out of the way. Right? <laughs> There's a crowd around Jesus. Peter's in the front. Get out of the way. Jesus is like, who touched me? Peter's like, are you serious who touched you? You cannot be serious. Who touched you? The whole crowd's touching you. And you're asking the question, Jesus, who touched you? He's the one advising Jesus, far be it from you, Lord, that you should be crucified and go to Jerusalem. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I just like that one. How many would quit over that? Right? He called me Satan. Ah. <laughs> Why did he choose him? He chose him because Peter had a perseverance. Peter didn't quit. He got back up and went again. Yeah? Peter could receive restoration. Peter could take account of the ability of his dysfunction. And probably to Peter, Jesus was the only one who really ever believed in him. Most people probably rejected Peter. Peter was probably a loner, very hard to get along with. Right? <laughs> but Jesus believed in him. And so God doesn't choose you based upon your talents and your skills. He sees something in you that you can't even see in yourself. And what you think he sees in you probably is not what he sees. He sees a passion that you have not tapped. He sees desire that you have not expressed. He sees a determination that you have not yet uncovered and brought to bear in the earth. Oh, yeah. And you thought he chose you because you had 500 Instagram followers. He chose you because he sees something in you no one else does. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. And his desire in your life is to bring forth what he has placed within you. That's his desire. Goals create intention. They teach you to say yes and no. Right? If you have a goal and your goal is, uh, you know, I'm going to grow in Christ and I'm giving my, you know, every Tuesday night I'm going to do this because I'm going to grow in Jesus. You're going to say no to everything else that interferes with that goal. That's something that a goal does. You know, whatever your goal is, if your goal is to spend time with your wife, and I highly recommend this. I just want to say that. I just want to put that out there. Ladies, help me help you. So when I say something that's meaningful to you, you need to give me a little amen here, okay? Amen. Right? So if your goal is to spend time with your wife, and you should. <laughs> you need to say no to other things. You need to put her at a place of priority, right? I was just telling her this morning because I was a little mad at her yesterday. I was mad at myself, but she, she perceived it differently. But my frustration is, is I don't have the time to do the things she's asking me to do. 
right? So she perceives it as I don't want to do the things that she's asking me to do. And I'm like, it's not about I don't want to do the things you're asking me to do. It's that I don't have the time to do the things you're asking me to do right now, right? Sherry's very right now, you know? <laughs> and I couldn't do it right now, so... You have to spend the time, but, but my point being on that is to just, you have to make a priority. She's to be prioritized, right? He's to be prioritized. So that's the kind of idea. If your goal is to do that and to build your relationship and to build your family, you know, because there's brokenness. Listen, the family was given to us as a gift. Say it with me. The family is a gift. It is not an idol. People idolize their families and worship their families. The family is a gift. That's all it is. It's nothing more, nothing less. It's not an object of worship. It's not an idolatry. You don't capitulate Jesus and surrender Jesus for the sake of your family. As soon as you've done that, you've created an idol. Right? As soon as you surrender things in your life and you give Jesus up in order to do things in your life that relate to your family, you've created an idol. Because your family is not your idol. Your family is not your altar. It's not where you bow. Jesus is. Right? Goals are statements of faith. You want to know how much faith people have? Ask them their goals. What do you believe in God for? Huh? Let's just ask that question. What do you believe in God for? Say it with me. I, if I believe the Lord for nothing, I'm going to get nothing. I used to have this guy, he'd slap the table. What you believe in God for, big? And be like, uh, I don't know. But he would always challenge me to believe God for the moon. He said, even if you don't get the moon, you get a few stars. Isn't that worth something? I'd be like, yeah, that's worth something. Believe God for big things. What's your goal? What's your goal? Your goals will tell you where your faith is. If you don't have any goals, your faith, you're not, you're, there's no faith there, Christian. I hate to tell you that. If you do not live in the direction that requires you to grow in faith and relationship with the kingdom and the purpose, you are being unfaithful. <gasps> if you are dormant, in your life as far as believing God. If you have a business, you should believe God to double your revenue this year. Yeah, I got one. Let me try this room. Say, if you have a business, <laughs> you should be believing God to double your revenue this year. You should be believing him for the wisdom on how to scale it and the courage to take the necessary actions that are required to go there. If you're at one level in your faith, you should believe God for the next level of increase in your faith, Amen. right? If you're at one level of relationship with the Lord, you should be believing God for another level of relationship with the Lord. Amen. No matter what it is, I mean, pick one, but you should be putting your faith on something. Your faith should be on something, right? I had a guy one time and he said to me, uh, I don't know, he was believing for X and uh, I think he got like a 70% increase. He was believing God to double his revenue and he got 70%, right? I, I told this story and somebody's like, well, he didn't get the 100%. I'm like, he got 70, right? I think the guy was doing, you know, several hundred thousand dollars and a 70% increase on several hundred thousand dollars doesn't change. That's not like seven bucks, right? He got 70%, he, had a, he believed God. And I said, ask the Lord what, you're belie what to do. And God's going to show it to you. Ask the Lord. Believe him. Find out what you need, what you want, how to, and he'll show you how to get there. It's another story for another time. But faith, but your, your goals are a statement of faith. Matthew 9, 29. Say it with me. According to my faith, so be it unto me. 
Say it with me. Nothing happens until I put faith on it. Nothing is going to happen until you put faith on it. Faith is believed to the point of action, convinced in a promise, so much so that you will take action. It's not this mystical dreamland, well, I just have faith that God's going to work it all out. Yeah, God's going to work it all out. But what would be a meaningful way that the Lord would work it out? What, have you asked him? Have you put faith on that? Have you put faith that God's going to transform your family from the inside out? Right? I mean, it's, 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 like, it's not mystical dreamland. Faith isn't mystical dreamland. It's intentional. Right? It's communal. We believe God for something. We ask the Lord for something. We let him redirect us. I believe God for, I don't know, who's, what do you want to believe God for? Anybody? Give me, throw me something. Throw me. Anybody? A what? Your husband. She believed in God for her husband. Holy Spirit, what do I have to do to be in the position to receive the good thing that you have for me? What do I have to change? What do I have to break? What do I have to renounce in order for me to receive the good thing that you have for me? And I can tell you the first thing he's going to ask you is what do you want? What does your husband look like, right? And it's not his physical appearance. Well, I want him to have, you know, biceps and, you know, a real six-pack, you know, want to do laundry on his stomach, right? If you, have kids, if you have kids with him, that's out the window, right? You know, the six-pack he got married with is probably going to turn into a keg by the time the second child is born, so. <laughs> it's true. And then when the kids get older, then you revert back to your youthful thing, nonetheless. But what do you want? What does he look like? The idea is lining up what your desire is with heaven. What you want must align with him. Grace is in the eye of the Lord. Grace is spiritual power moving in love. What does the Lord see? How does the Lord see it? How does he see it? Why do you want to, first, first question, why do you want one? So, okay, we can do it all kinds of different ways. But in the relationship to a husband, A, what do you want? B, why do you want it? I want a husband. That's, that's so lame, I can't even tell you. Not that because that's a lame thing. But if you, don't, if you can't get past the point of saying, I want a husband, you have to know what you want, right? I want a man of God. What does that look like? Someone who loves you more than they will love me. Why do you want to get married? So that our relationship can be a partnership and an apostolic team that brings your glory to the earth. If you attach self-indulgent to what you ask God for, he's not hearing it. He doesn't answer prayers in the relationship of self-indulgence. He doesn't. This is why the Bible says it's a disqualification because what you're asking for is based solely on you. You're designed to desire to be married, right? Jesus made marriage. Marriage isn't, God, isn't, isn't an invention of men. This isn't some, God, some person's idea. But God made Adam and Eve, and he created a, a union, a wedding union, for a specific purpose. They were be a transformative apostolic team to bring forth heaven to earth. That's the purpose. What does that look like? I don't know. Maybe you guys do a business together that brings heaven to earth. But it's a relational thing. It's a man of God, right? A man who loves Jesus more than he loves me. Then the second question is, where are the dysfunctions, or third question, where are the dysfunctions in my life, Lord, that would prevent me from seeing who and what you have for me? Most people, God brings them people, and they don't want them because they have false filters, 
They have, that guy doesn't feed your, uh, the underlying lie that you're not worthy. And so you can go and find the person that, you can, that, that will feed the lie that you're not worthy. The guy that gives you love and acceptance, you completely freak out from. And as soon as the barrier breaks the outer barrier of the relationship and starts coming into the emotional component, people immediately push away and reject that person because the false front has now been divided, has now been broken. So what happens, right? So most people that want to get married, and I encourage it, and those who are married, you know this is the game. You have to be constantly fixing yourself. If you are not constantly fixing yourself, it's not going to happen. Say it with me. If my marriage is coasting, it's probably going downhill. <gasps> you have to be changing. I've been married a long time. Yeah, you know, you know, I'm, you know, when I was younger, I never thought I felt qualified to speak on marriage. I am absolutely qualified to speak on marriage now. I can speak to the heights of heaven. So great subject. You have to change. I cannot remain the same and be married to that woman. She cannot remain the same and be married to this man. She has to change. I have to give her the bigger closet. Do you know what I'm saying? I have to give her the closet that has the mirrored doors. You know what I'm saying? I have to put the tile in the bathroom the way she likes the tile in the bathroom. She has to let me do the garage any way I want. <laughs> You have to change. You have to change. You have to ask the Lord because every button you have will be pushed in marriage. Can I get a witness? If you have a button at all, marriage is going to push it. And if marriage doesn't push that button, that child that you're going to have surely will. Or those children that you have surely will. I thought all my buttons had been pushed until I had children. Right? And then, then first child, I was like, all those buttons have been pushed. Then second child, I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know I had these buttons. Amen. Where did these buttons come from? I got buttons I didn't even know about. They're pushing buttons on me I didn't even know I had. What do you want? Why do you want it? Business, marriage, whatever it is, finances, why do you want that? I want a million dollars. Why? So I'm not poor. Wrong answer. Heaven doesn't move on it. Heaven doesn't move on it. Doesn't. I want a reciprocal income so that I can provide funding for the kingdom of God. I want a reciprocal income so that not only will my house flourish, but my father's house will flourish. And then strike hands with him and make a deal. Financial prosperity. So that when it comes to love and relationships, most people won't fix themselves, but they want to get married. And then it explodes right in their face. Or they date the wrong person. If he doesn't come to church without you, he's the wrong guy. Getting real quiet. Right? He's going to come to Jesus. I just know it. No, he's not. You know he's not. If that commitment's not there before you make the commitment with him, he's not. Men are actually designed to lead the family spiritually. So that means, guys, if anybody's coming to church... I'm not saying every time, but 80% of the time, it better be you going, let's go. We're going. Men are supposed to lead the relationship spiritually. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean he's, you know, Billy Graham, but it means he's supposed to put the family in a position where the family can be spiritually fed and blessed. That's his job. 
And you know how, you know, you know what, you know what uh, the, the victory of that is? Lead them in the door and put them in a church that, that teaches the kingdom. Amen. You win, right? You're spiritually leading your family. Well, I didn't do my, you know, whatever. But this, this is how this stuff works. Your goals have to align with heaven or he doesn't hear it. He doesn't hear it. He doesn't hear it. He hears what's in line with him. The teaching is that God hears what's in line with you. That is completely wrong. You are called to conform unto his image. Is that not what the scripture says? Be conformed into the image of Christ. Jesus is not conforming to you. You are to conform to him. What does he want? It's not my thing. You know how many times I've heard that? And I've told, I tell people all the time, they're like, oh, that's just not my thing. I'm like, it's Jesus' thing. It's Jesus' thing, Christian. And if you want the kingdom, and you can be saved and live your life and suffer all the consequences, but God didn't design you for that. He designed you to flourish. For your business to succeed, for your marriage to succeed, for all these areas of your life to be filled with flourishing in life. That's the design. And if there is some dysfunction there on a consistent basis, then there is something missing in those pieces. Something is missing. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory through the church throughout all generations. Your goals determine your faith. Do you believe he's able? Do you? He's more than able. More than able. We ask God, but we don't oftentimes ask the operative questions. Lord, what needs to change in my household? Lord, what am I doing that is disqualifying me from the thing that you've set before me? Lord, what is going on in my household? What is, what is broken? What is missing? What's out of order? Some of y'all, you got husbands that won't come to church. Well, why is that? Have you ever asked Jesus? Have you ever asked him? What is broken in my, in my husband? Where's the brokenness with him? And then not just sit there and, and, you know, talk at him or talk down to him, but ask him. There's something broken with him relationally. And most likely, it's an issue of value and worth, and it's an issue of acceptance. There may be other things in play, but that's definitely there for sure. They don't feel, they, can't, they have a hard time being accepted by themselves, and so they have a hard time being in an atmosphere where God will actually love them. Unworthy, unaccepted, unloved, some version of that. And that's why men run. There's a lack of acceptance. Pain, not good enough, right? Come on, man, you with me? Men str women, women struggle with insecurity and fears. Men struggle with not being good enough. Value and worth. That's what they struggle with. Huh? Not good enough. And the world tells us you're not good enough. The world is constantly sending these messages to men that they're not good enough. You don't make enough money. Your kids aren't as perfect. My kid went to the NFL. Your kid didn't even make it out of high school. You know, the world is constantly sending us these messages that we're not good enough, right? Biggest struggle, ladies, I'm going to help you. Biggest struggle that women, men have with their wives is when they perceive that what they do is not good enough. When the wife is messaging to that man that it's not good enough, that is right in the heart, right? Come on, man. Is there any guys in the room? Right? You know, what, you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. We just don't want to admit it. It's like she's sitting right next to me, man. I'm not, I'm not going to say that. I'm just saying that. That's why if anything is pure, if anything is noble, if anything is virtuous, if anything is of good report, think on that. You need to encourage that guy. He doesn't do everything perfect, but he does do some things right. And you need to find the value and the worth in him, and you need to amplify the value and the worth within him. 
You cannot rip that guy down. He's not, and, and you cannot tell him, you cannot vent your frustration on him and tell him he's not good enough. Tell him everything in his life, everything in the world is his fault and his problem. You can't do that. You will absolutely destroy him. That is the core of his being. That is exactly who he is. Right? Just a thought. My name is Pastor Kevin. I'm here to help you. <laughs> your view of Jesus will determine your goal. People say, well, you got big goals. Who do you think you are? Wrong question. question isn't who do I think I am. The question is, is who do I think Jesus is? That's the question. Your goals are determined by who you view Jesus to be. Right? If you knew the gift of God that was sitting in front of you, you would ask. You believe the Lord is capable? Do you? Right? I believe it. Okay? Then act upon it. Ask the Lord for wisdom to act upon what you believe he can do. And don't just ask him for wisdom. Ask him for courage. Wisdom is in spades. I tell that to people all the time. You have wisdom. You have a pretty good idea of what you should do. What you lack is courage. Wisdom's easy. The Bible says God pours wisdom out like water in the street. Proverbs. Right? Wisdom's easy. Courage is not. Number one prayer of the early church was boldness. That we would have courage to do the things that you were directing us to do. Who do you think God is? Courage to the point of action. Beginning to believe Him. Beginning to change. Beginning to strategize. A sin of unbelief. What the sin of unbelief is? You don't really believe that God's going to do what He said He would do. Oh no, I believe it. Then why doesn't your life reflect it? Why does not the patterns of your life reflect the fact that you believe that God's going to do what He said He's going to do? The fact that your life does not reflect what you believe, and I'm not talking about perfection, the fact that your life is spent in another direction other than the one that you believe God is going to do tells you and speaks to him that you don't believe that he is going to do what he said. You don't believe it. If you believe God was going to do that, if you believe that the Lord was going to save your children, you would be celebrating. You wouldn't be crying. You wouldn't be crying. If you believe God was going to save your husband or God was going to bring your husband, you wouldn't be down on him and pounding on him and slapping him around. You would say, you are a man of God and God has a purpose for you and God has a direction for you and you are squandering your life in pain. And my goal in your life is to call out what I see in you. You are a man of God. Take your rightful position. That's your goal. You wouldn't be complaining at him. Well, you never read the Bible with the kids. Do you know what he wants to do? I'm going to give you some clues. Okay, to all the single ladies, you want a man to like you? Anybody with me? Come on, ladies, you need to pull on your ear. I'm going to give you gold right now. Right now, here it comes. Ready? Like what he likes. Like what he likes. Laugh at his jokes. That's always a good one, right? And like what he likes. You know what men don't want? They don't want to be around a person who doesn't like what they like. That doesn't mean everything, but if there's everything in this guy's life and you like nothing, you wonder why he doesn't want to be around you? He doesn't want to be around people who don't like what he likes. If he likes football, you better learn what first and ten means. Now, he doesn't need to watch six games in a year or six games in a day. You might limit that down to one. But if that dude likes football, you better learn that game. It better be a part of you because it's a part of him. You must like what he likes. Just a thought. If you believe that God was going to save your husband, 
You would stop calling him out and all of the negative things that God is saying over, that you see over him. You'd stop partnering with the devil and you'd start partnering with Jesus. You'd speak faith over him. You'd speak faith into him. You'd keep calling him. You're a man of God. You are a man of God. And you would look at him and you would say, well done, man of God. Well done, son of the highest. What an honor it is to live with somebody who loves Jesus like you. What an honor God sees upon that action. And he's all of a sudden, he's going to be like, first of all, he's going to take his pulse, right, to see if he's dreaming. He might pull on his cheeks a little bit to see if he's just come out of shock. But you would call him out. Bible says, do we want to give life to the dead? Call what is not as though it is. You want to give life to something dead? Call what is not as though it is. Yeah? Goals create focus. Right? And fo- say it with me. Focus has power. We can look at light, right? We can look at light. If the sunlight diffused, but if the sunlight is focused, it can cut through steel. Goals that are focused, laser focused, something like that, a concentrated effort can accomplish a lot. What happens to us is the cares of this world take over our lives. Jesus tells the parable of the sower. He sows, sower sows the seed. That story, oftentimes it's missed that some fell by the wayside, some fell on stony ground, others fell and rooted, but the cares of this life took it, and then others rooted and, and bore fruit. Two seeds rooted. It's important to know that. Two of the seeds took root, but only one bare fruit. And there are Christians whose lives are rooted, but they cannot bear fruit because they're overwhelmed with the cares of this life, they're overwhelmed with selfish perspectives, they're overwhelmed with cultural perspectives, they're overwhelmed with so many other things, and their focus is completely wrong, and they cannot, part, they cannot bear the fruit that God intends them, the purpose, the destiny, the kingdom. They can't do it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I do not run without a goal, and I don't, I don't shadow box, or I don't fight like a fighter who's hitting the air. In other words, I'm not just doing things aimlessly. What I do has purpose and what I do has intention. Your life has to have purpose and your life has to have intention. doesn't mean you don't have any kind of frivolousness or enjoy, you know, time off or things like that. But overall, your life has to have a goal. Goals motivate. Number four, (laughs) motivate. You want to get off the bed? Get a goal, right? Get a goal. Ladies, when you buy that new outfit, you are motivated to wear it, aren't you? Right? Come on, I got one, right? Whatever it is, jewelry, whatever it is that's your, your, that new purse, you are motivated to wear that. So when he says, hey, we're going out to dinner, you're like, oh, I'm going. I can wear my new purse. I can bring my new purse, right? There's a motivation there because you have a goal. There's an intention. I know it's frivolous. You're like, can't you go a little higher than a purse, Kevin? Well, let's just talk where we're at. You know, I don't know. Anyway. Job says this, I don't have the strength to endure, and I do not have a goal that encourages me to carry on. When you don't have a goal, you get very discouraged. You don't even want to get out of bed. When it's hopeless and meaningless and endless, you don't want to move, do you? Am I with me? But when you have a goal, the goal is what motivates you. You get up to go and do what it is that God has set before you. Goals motivate. So let me ask you a question. What do you do when you're going through hell? Anybody with me? Pray, pray, pray. pray. Pray is very good. Jesus is always the number one answer here. So anytime I ask a question and you say Jesus, it is always the right answer, no matter what. What color is the sky? Jesus, that is the right answer. 
That is the most brilliant answer I have ever heard in my life. Jesus is the answer. When you're going through hell, not only pray, but number one, you keep going. You don't build a habitation in hell. When you're going through something, you keep going. The only way to get through something is to go through it. The goal is to get to the other side. You're in a circumstance, and the circumstance is not the goal. The goal is to get out of this. The goal is to use this. The goal is something other than the circumstance itself. Jesus has, enough, Jesus has goals. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. You know the goal of the cross was you? You were the goal of the cross. The goal of the resurrection is you. He didn't do it just because he felt like it. He had nothing better to do, right? He did it because he had a goal in mind. He was able to endure excruciating pain, excruciating shame, unfathomable things. I was sharing in, um, in the class, uh, the Destiny Deliverance class, I was talking about how the, the Trinity submits and all submission is given to the Son. Why is that? Because the Son's the one that laid his life down. The Father's committed all judgment unto the Son. The Father, who sits in the seat of authority, he's co-equal, they're all equal, right? But the Father has rescinded all rights of judgment to the Son. All judgment is given unto the Son. Why? Because Jesus came. The Holy Spirit bows in submission and in total servitude unto the Son. Why? Because Jesus came. And if you see that the Father, the Son, the Father, and the Spirit honor Jesus for what he did, right, to that extreme, and we honor him, come on, and we, can we not honor him a little higher than what we've currently done? When heaven itself rings with the trumpets of the victorious king, right? The one who bears scars eternally, who is the divine prototype of the new creation, the divine representation of humanity before the kingdom of heaven, and they all come around him in a position of honor. Should we treat it trivially? I don't think so. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He did it for you, Christian. And if he did that, how much more will he do? You ever want to quit? Everybody wants to quit. Say, pastors don't want to quit. Do you have any idea? They did a survey. It's like 60 or 70% of pastors are discouraged and want to quit. Why? Because not everybody's Instagram pastor, right? There are pastors that actually are pastors and they're not celebrities. They actually do the work, right? They don't teach a message, get off in a limo and drive off to their next whatever. They're not rock stars with an entourage. And so, you know, it's, it's, you know, another thing is there's a lot of things that are poured out of your life. There's a lot of sacrifices that are made. The rewards are tremendous. I mean, the access that I have is an unreal. But, you know, we get PMS, post-message syndrome. So true. <laughs> You're like, I said, what? Oh, my gosh, man. I could have did that way better, right? So Shelly taught, and I asked her, I said, how was it? And she goes, I could have did better. I'm like, ah, 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 told you, told you. You're, you know, it's just the way it is. Everybody wants to quit. When you work towards a goal, Jesus starts working towards you. Why do, I, why do you keep going? Because it's the, it's the Lord who's appointed this. It's the Lord who wants it. Goals bring about good results. If your goals are good, they will be respected, Proverbs 11. 1 Corinthians 9.25, all athletes practice strict self-control. Why? Because they're trying to go to a goal. Yep, I got you. 
They do it to win a prize that will fade away. We do it to win an eternal prize. So we run towards the goal with the purpose in every step. Our lives are be trained and disciplined. Athletes, in order to achieve levels of excellence and levels of any level of competitive readiness at all, they have to train and prepare, and there has to be discipline. But you have to want it. You have to want the goal. As long as it's a dream, it doesn't cost you anything. When it becomes a goal and you bind it to time as an objective, now it begins to cost you. But you have to want it. Say with me, no one can make me the person I don't want to be. Nobody can make you the person you don't want to be. You have to want to be that person. If you don't want to be that person, no one can make you the person you don't want to be. They just can't. Jesus cannot make you who you are until you know who you are. That's why it's a constant emphasis on sons and daughters. You need to know who you are. The Lord cannot mold you into that until you understand this is who you are. So what are the questions that we ask in the Lord? And so if we have goals, we need to have goals. These are the things that goals do for us. You need to have a goal for your faith this year. You need to have a goal for your family. You can, you know, say, I, do I got to do all five? Well, how about you do one or two? Can we do one or two? Okay. Your faith, your family, your finances, your future, your friendships, your external relationships. Find a goal there. Right? You might say, this year I'm no longer walking with turkeys. I'm going to find some eagles and I'm going to start flying with them. Right? That might be your goal. Right? All of the toxic friendships, all of the toxic family members, I'm going to put you on a shelf. I might see you at Thanksgiving and Christmas, but that's about it because I'm not no longer going to be put myself in these positions. I'm not obligated. You're not obligated there. You're not Jesus. You're not obligated, right? I asked the Lord many times, what's my obligation? He says, you have none. Their obligation is to me. I'm the one who was obligated there, not you, right? You're not obligated there. Your goal may be that, your faith, your family, your friendships, your finances, and your future. Get a goal. Where are you? Where do you want to go? Why do you want to do it? Does this align with the Lord's heart, right? Does this goal honor the Lord? And if it does, in what way? I'll just, I got a bunch of verses. I'll just read them for you. 1 Corinthians 6.20, God paid a price for you, so honor God with your body. When you eat and drink or do anything, always honor the Lord. <laughs> anything. That pretty much encompasses anything. 1 Corinthians 10.31. 2 Corinthians 5.9, it, it is the goal of our lives to bring honor to him or to please him, Right? Second is, does the goal honor God? Secondly, does this goal create the common good? If so, how? What is the common good? The highest good for other people. Is this goal beneficial to other people? Is this goal beneficial to the community, to the society, to the church? Is there a greater, is there a greater uh, end game here in play than myself? Does it honor the Lord and will it create common good? Everything must be done in love. Love is to seek the highest good. Let love be your highest goal. So let the goal of seeking the highest good be the goal. What are the goals here? To create highest good. Does this goal require faith and equipping? That's another one. Proverbs 16, 9. I'm running out of time. I've got to go quick. We plan the way we want to live, but only God is able to make it happen. Is your goal required? We're doing a preschool. We got the lease, by the way, finally, right? Yeah? Three years in the making. I don't even want to get into it, but you'll hear more about it shortly. But the, but the goal, what, what, what it, it took, it, if you don't think we're over our head, we're over our head. But we got some ideas. 
But this requires God to move on this. This requires God to move this forward. This requires certain things to happen in order for us to execute this. It's the way it is. God's got always got a goal. The goal has to be higher than you, right? Your goal should be ambitious. Your goal should require faith on your part. Put faith on it. I want my business to double. You should, that's going to require faith. That's going to require commitment, right? That's going to require equipping. You're probably going to have to change a few things, right? If your current model isn't working or there's just different systems you have to put in place, you're going to have to do that. So what do you need? You need the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4.6. You will not succeed in your own strength, but by my power, says the Lord. Say it with me. I cannot succeed without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but with the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. <laughs> So true. Come on. Yeah. You need the Holy Spirit. You need his promises, Christian. Is there a promise associated with the goal? God told Joshua, keep this book of the law. Keep my promises on your mouth. Recite them by day and by night that you may carefully follow all that is written. Then you will successfully attain your goal. My children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of my children. My Bible says that my child, when he is older, will return. Raise up the child in the way that they should go. When they are older, they will return for it. Father, I thank you that my wayward child who was raised in this faith, who was associated with this faith, will return. I thank you that my child will walk with you. It's his promise. Right? Keep his promises in front of you. Surely in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply you. That's a promise. You want your business to be multiplied? There's a promise for that. You want your life to be blessed? There's a promise for that. Lord, you said in blessing you would bless me. You would multiply my blessing. You said in multiplying you will multiply me. While I'm multiplying, you would multiply me. Those are promises. You need the Holy Spirit. You need his promises. And lastly, you need like-minded people. You got to be in a small group. We do small groups here. That's a big thing. You should be in a small group at this church. We have a men's discipleship group, a Bible study, which is really good. Meets on Thursday. We have a women's group that meets consistently. We do life groups by semester. Those are good. You need to be around good people who know you, care for you, and encourage you. But you also need to be around like-minded goal people. You cannot be around turkeys. You cannot be in a barrel of crabs. You're trying to go forward, and all the crabs pull you down, right? Crabs, you know what crabs want to do? They always want to sink to the bottom, and any crab that climbs to the top, they're pulling that crab back down. You can't be around that. You can't be around that. Change the level of thinking. You got to change the level of the people that you're around. Have a goal for your faith, your family, your future, your friendships, your finances. And where do you want to be in 12 months? And where do you want to be in 60 months? Never say it with me. Write it down. What do you want? Why do you want it? And what has to change? Amen. We're going to take communion. So I uh, just want to tell everybody by live stream, we're very grateful to have you and very honored that you would watch this with us. We bless you. We honor you. We love you in every way. And in Jesus' name, amen. And so we're going to take uh, communion here. So you can end the stream, Alex. And so what we're going to do, where's Danny? Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. So Danny's going to play some music for us, and we're going to take communion. And so what we're going to do is he begins to play. If you would make your way up and around and take these communion elements back to the seat with you, and we'll take it together. Thank you so much.
know, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that when he went to the cross for you, before he went to the cross, and I tell the Christian it's about the cross, but it's most, more importantly, it's about the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. Without the resurrection, we're still lost in our sins. Without the resurrection, the Holy Spirit would never have come. So as much as it is about the cross, it's about the resurrection. And Jesus knew he was going to be raised. He had a party on the night he was betrayed. Do you know communion came out of a dinner party? <laughs> he had a dinner party. Would you, would you have a dinner party when you're going to get killed the next day and you know they're going to kill you? Yeah, yeah, you would, right? Yeah, a dinner party. Because you know where you're going. Most people would never have a party. Jesus had a party. He brought his friends together, right? And communion comes out of a celebration. And the Bible says that when they left that party, they sang a song, right? They weren't all weeping and sad and crying. It wasn't like that. This is a celebration of what Jesus did for you. You are his joy. No one dragged him there. He went there willingly. Yeah, he went there willingly. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. He told Pilate, you'd have no power over me at all if it wasn't willed from above. You have no authority. No one takes my life. He's not, Jesus, say it with me. Jesus is not a victim. He's a victor. He was not a victim in one moment of time. Not one moment in that process was he a victim. He willfully gave his back to the scourging. He willfully gave himself to the cross. He willfully gave himself. Willfully. And he broke bread with his disciples and he told them, I want you to take this. This is my body. It's broken for you. Right? I want you to hold it up and I want you to say this represents the body of Jesus. It was given for me. It is no small thing. I believe it and I receive it. Let's take it together. The Bible says you are regenerated. You were born with a new generation. You were born no longer of the blood of the earth. You're born of the blood of heaven. This, the cup, the wine, the symbol isn't just the blood and the atonement of sin. Yes, that's important. But it's the blood of regeneration. You are heirs of heaven. You are sons and daughters. Born with the blood of a king. Rightful heirs. Based upon not just a promise, but a validation. There's no stronger spiritual validation than blood. Blood rights are the most binding elements within the spiritual world. And Jesus gives you his blood. He can bind himself to you in no greater way than through his blood. And you become heirs. You're regenerated. Say this, I'm not born of the earth. I'm born of heaven. This is the blood of Jesus. Re represents for the forgiveness of sins and the regeneration. I'm an heir of this world and the one to come. I'm a son and a daughter of the highest. I believe it. I receive it. Let's take it together. Amen.